long days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 193, The Kessel Run. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. Yes, I'm here for another Kessel Run. I've been trying to get these episodes out as fast as possible. Baltimore's coming up, unfortunately, uh, this episode, as well as some future ones here, are not going to be out in time for us recording episode 200 in Baltimore. However, the episode that we record in Baltimore will be episode 200. It just won't come out until we reach that number. Um, I know we're going to record episode 199, probably on the road, on the way to Baltimore, and then we'll record episode 200 in Baltimore. Uh, I will do everything I can to get episodes out uh, as quickly as possible so you guys can hear the fun that will happen in Baltimore this year. Unfortunately, what had happened was I got behind on schedule, number one, but then number two is I actually got a cold uh, recently and still suffering from a cough from that and everything. Didn't have my voice, couldn't keep a conversation going uh, for very long. Just made it very difficult to try to get anything out there for you guys. So uh, this episode I'm recording and I won't probably get it out till well after Baltimore and everything, but wanted to kind of give you guys an explanation as to why we weren't able to get things done as quickly as possible. Like I said, just sometimes life gets in the way and sometimes your health gets in the way. Uh, feeling much better now. Uh, should be able to get more episodes out once Baltimore's done. Hopefully you'll hear this one and then a few quickly after that. I am doing another Kessel Run because, again, with these episodes, it's just easy for me to record on my own without having to uh, arrange time with the other guys, even though they are extremely flexible and always willing to work with me as far as nights that I can record uh, and they can record and sometimes they're able to record and I can't. So we're going to try to get an animated episode out to you guys as soon as we can. It'll definitely be before the end of the year. I know you guys love doing the uh, listening to those episodes. We love doing them for you guys. 
Um, also getting out more video reviews for you guys. Uh, I want to thank everyone who watched the video about Aubrey Sitterson. Uh, got a huge amount of views on that. Got a huge amount of support from it, uh, more importantly. It's been awesome. So for those of you who don't know, uh, I don't want to go into it too much here in the podcast because I just don't really want to spend a lot of time on it. But basically, the writer on G.I. Joe, Aubrey Sitterson, said some pretty insensitive things on Twitter about 9-11. And I know he has said some things that have gotten him in some deep water when it comes to the G.I. Joe community in the past already. Uh, some of his views and everything else politically and, and socially and everything else just really didn't mesh well with a lot of fans out there. Some of that I just kind of disregarded because there's a lot of creators out there. I don't agree with them when it comes to their views on different things and whatnot, and I just kind of dismiss it. This wasn't something I could just dismiss. Uh, I didn't appreciate the comments that he was making about 9-11. Basically, the gist of what he said was pretty much that if you weren't at 9-11, then you have no right to be looking for sympathy, and that some people just use 9-11 as a way to look for sympathy uh, for themselves. When people pointed out that this was insensitive of him and that it wasn't right of him, instead of apologizing and realizing that it was insensitive because so many people were pointing that out to him, instead he decided to double down and tell everyone to F off, uh, is the gist of what happened. And then he just kept up with doubling down. And he has a lot of people very upset, including myself, and saying that they're not going to buy anything from IDW. And there's a lot of people saying he's not going to buy his book anymore. I am one of the people saying I'm not going to buy his book anymore. I'm not going to support him on anything that he writes at this uh, point. Uh, I'm not giving up on all of IDW comics uh, because there's a lot of creators that I do support. And I do really like what they're doing. And I do like a lot of the, obviously a lot of the brands and everything else that come out of IDW. Uh, IDW also did do a formal response saying that they do not agree with anything that was said by him. Uh, he does, you know, he doesn't speak for them at all, uh, and that actions would be uh, looked at in next steps. Nothing has happened as of yet, as far as what those next steps will be. People are saying that he should be fired for this. I personally don't think he should be fired for things that he says, but I think he should be let go off the book if the sales aren't there. And I, th I think with enough people saying that they're not going to buy the title that the sales, which weren't good already, uh, are actually going to diminish even further. Uh, the sales for the G.I. Joe book have been like in the 5,000 range, uh, which is not very high at all for a comic, and it's certainly not high for any of IDW's comics. So not, not even comparing it to Marvel or DC titles, which typically get a lot more um, automatically, because that's what a lot of people buy is Marvel and DC titles. But even for IDW, it was like, when I looked at recent numbers, it's like the 12th or 13th highest selling title of all of IDW comics. So it's not even in its top 10, certainly not in its top five. So, and that's just when you look at titles, that's not even talking about like individual issues, because sometimes something will double ship or whatnot. Um, so I, you know, I'm not looking to buy his title anymore. I'm not looking to buy his G.I. Joe title, which w kills me because I like covering all these brands and keeping up with what's going on, whether I like the series or not. I feel like it's a service to you guys to let you know, hey, this is good. This is not based on my opinion. Obviously, you guys can always make your own opinion on whatever you're reading. 
but I like to give you guys an idea of like, hey, here's what I'm reading and here's what I think of it. And if your opinions are similar, then, you know, maybe it keeps you from buying a title you would not enjoy or it gets you buying a title that you didn't realize you might enjoy. But I'm not going to do that with this title anymore. I was getting it all the way through to First Strike. I already had that all pre-ordered. But as far as his new Scarlet Strike Force title, uh, I'm not getting any of that. I'm not going to support any of it. And that's pretty much the gist of it. I did a video response to his comments. I'm going to have a follow-up video coming up that kind of discusses the things I just talked about here a bit. And then I'm going to kind of just let it go and let my wallet speak for my lack of support for his his book. Uh, and I hope that you guys out there that feel the same way as I do, do the same thing. So, And go check out the video if you want to know a little bit more of what I'm talking about. It's on the YouTube channel. It's a G.I. Joe's fan reaction to Aubrey Sitterson. Uh, like I said, I will have a, a follow-up video that'll come out later. Uh, found that, you know, doing a reaction video like that, uh, what I basically did is I didn't do any editing whatsoever with it. I just hit the camera and I, you know, cut off the very beginning and the very end, obviously, of me sitting down and then me getting up to turn the camera off. But outside of that, there was no editing, no flashiness to it or anything like that. It was, it just was what it was. It was my actual reaction, how I was feeling about stuff. And I'm going to do that a little bit more in the future as well. I'm going to do still the comic reviews on there. Uh, I have an unboxing video coming up, which I know I've been promising for a while, but I haven't recorded. I just haven't uh, done the editing on it to release it. That will probably be the next video that comes out from when you hear this. And, uh, you know, so like I said, I'm still going to do the, the comic reviews on there, but I'm going to do some more reaction videos for a couple of reasons. One is people seem to like them. And two is because I like talking about how I feel about news, whether it's good or bad. So it's not always going to be a bad news thing. It's not always going to be like, oh, I'm upset about this or this bothers me. Sometimes to me, I'm just really excited about something I want to talk about. So that's what some of the videos will be. And also thirdly is because I can get those out a lot faster. So even with recording something, on the podcast, there's a lot more involved with uh, the post work. Even if I'm not editing anything out uh, or changing anything, there's a little bit more on the post side than there is on an unedited video. On an unedited video, it's literally I, you know, cut the front off, the back off, and I just I'm putting a little thumbnail, pre-made thumbnail at the beginning of it, and then I just download it, and that's it. You know, so. Uh, where with the audio, I've got to still do some stuff. So it, it's interesting because unedited video can be done very quickly. Uh, podcasts that are edited can as probably the next fastest thing that you can do. And then an edited video is the, the, the thing that takes the longest. So at least for me, it does. So uh, look forward to that type of stuff. You know, if any of these properties have some big news coming out and I have the chance to have a recording of it done uh, of a reaction or something like that to the news. I'm going to do that. Uh, I think it'll kind of bring more attention to the show and everything else. And I think you guys will enjoy it. So looking forward to that. This episode, I'm doing something a little bit special, uh, at least special for me. Uh, and I think probably something special for you guys as well. First, I'm going to cover something related to kind of G.I. Joe. Uh, with The reason I mentioned the whole Aubrey Sitterson thing was because in this episode was not only to bring you guys 
in on what happened if you didn't watch the video that I uh, posted out there. But also, uh, I was like, well, what should I cover as another Kessel run? What's something that I can read and bring to you guys? And I don't want to do, I wanted to do something G.I. Joe related. I didn't want to do a Marvel G.I. Joe issue without somebody else on the show with me. Typically, I do those episodes with John or Robert. There's also uh, one of our listeners, Jake Witherspoon, has reached out to me and said he would love to come on an episode or two and, and do some, you know, these reviews with me and everything else. So I'll probably have him on for uh, sometime after Baltimore. I'll arrange some time with with Jake and have him come on and maybe him and I will do a, a G.I. Joe one. Maybe we'll have even have John join us for that or, or something, have three of us talking about an issue. Uh, but we'll see. I'm uh, going to arrange that with Jake and John and uh, Robert and stuff like that. Robert and I are going to actually uh, record some stuff. Him and I have been in talks about getting together to record some stuff. Uh, and then Chuck and I, I know I've mentioned this a few times, Chuck and I are talking about recording some stuff. And after Baltimore's over, I'll be able to coordinate a little bit more with him on getting together. And we might actually just have him come to the studio here, uh, like we used to do in the old days, and record an episode or two together. Uh, a couple things we've talked about doing together is talking about some action movies of the 80s, just you know, talking about sequels and everything else, because him and I have some very different opinions about when a sequel is better than the original and, and things like that. So uh, we had a little discussion one time and I was like, you know, this would make for a good episode. So I think we're going to do something like that together. And then him and I, uh, also really love the, as much as you guys do the devil's do run of GI Joe. So I was like him, he has all the issues. I have all the issues. I was like, why don't we just go through that? It's been a long time since I've read those. And there's some of those issues I never read, especially once it got into the America's elite. Uh, I know Chuck has read all of them. But yeah, I would love to cover the Devil's Do Run with him. And he's like, yeah, we could totally do that. So looking forward to that. So I was like, okay, if, if I'm going to do that with Chuck as far as the Devil's Do Run, so that, that's not what I'm covering today. Then I was like, well, what else is out there that's G.I. Joe that's not also the Marvel Run? And for the show, we have covered pretty much everything that was IDW continuity. So that didn't leave a whole lot else out there. Except for one thing that I realized I had never read. I own a few copies of this issue, and I've never read it, ever. Um, and I'm willing to bet there's probably some of you guys out there that have never read it either. And you might even be in the same boat where you own a copy of it, and you never read it. And there's a reason why you may have never read it, and there's definitely a reason why I never read it. And what I'm talking about is Dreamwave's Transformers G.I. Joe divided front. At one point, Dreamwave was a company that owned uh, the rights to doing Transformers comics. Did an amazing job as far as I was concerned. I absolutely love that run, love that series. That's probably something else I would love to cover in one of these Kessel runs at some point. And I've actually thought about doing that as one of these episodes in the near future. But they had Transformers. They did do a Transformers G.I. Joe crossover, which was phenomenal. It was my favorite crossover that's ever been done of, of those two properties. And it was it took place in World War II, so it was just a unique take. It had some awesome art. Uh, really liked it. And like I said, I was really enjoying what, what Dreamwave was doing 
with the Transformers property. And then they went bankrupt. And before they went bankrupt, they did an actual sequel to their World War II crossover story. And that was Divided Front. Only the first issue came out when it came to Divided Front. And that was issue number one, obviously. They did multiple covers for this issue. In fact, I don't even remember how many covers there are. But that's why I have actually multiple copies of this issue is I have probably at least three covers of it. I actually would like to get all the covers for this since it was the only issue that ever came out. The covers are really fantastic looking. They're just awesome. Uh, the one I have in front of me here is the bad guy side of Divided Front. So there was actually, I remember there being two editions of the cover that had one of the issues had all the bad guys on it of both trans, uh, Transformers, the Decepticons, and the Cobras, uh, Cobra agents and everything. The other one had G.I. Joe and the Autobots, and I have both of those covers. So, like, that was really cool. And if you, it's a front and back cover, and if you take the Joe one with the Autobots and you lay that one out, you can have a four-panel cover that goes from one side to the other of the Decepticons and Cobra facing off against G.I. Joe and the Autobots. Um, on this cover, you have uh, Soundwave. You know, the, it's awesome because they have the scale right and everything else. But you have Soundwave there with Cobra Commander in front of them. I can't tell. There's some machine gunist on Soundwave's shoulder there. And he's, he's holding a huge machine gun. I don't know who that's supposed to be. You can't really tell because he's way up there and really small. Uh, but you have Trouble Bubbles, you have the Crimson Twins, uh, you have more uh, Mores, and you have Rattlers and Fangs all there. You have a, a Stinger. Uh, then on the back, which is the spread there, you also have Starscream showing up. You have um, Zorana. You have Destro, Scrap Iron, uh, Mindbender. You have Copperheads there. So And you have a Hiss, uh, Hiss Tank. So... Just really cool cover. Um, it's Pat Lee art, so that's who did. If I'm remembering right, if I'm remembering right, that's who did also the art for the previous story of Transformers GI Joe. I know that Pat Lee did the art for the Transformers series. Uh, I'm almost positive that he did the art for the uh, first Transformers GI Joe series. But with this, it was written by James McDonough and Adam Paddock. And I will say that IDW, if these guys are still writing right now, which I didn't look to see if they are or not, but if they are still writing in comics right now, these are the guys you need to go get for writing G.I. Joe uh, because they really get the characters. You can tell in this issue that they really get the characters. I will say there's a couple of things that they don't quite get the way I would expect for uh, in this issue for certain Joe characters, especially Flint. But I think I know where they were going with it. So even though the character of Flint and some of the other things that happened weren't 100% what I would expect for those characters, I have a feeling that they were leading to what I expected for those characters, and they were going to be doing it in a natural story progression. So there's just things that come across a certain way in the story um, maybe you can say some of them are kind of cliches of how you would build a character up. 
uh, or maybe it's just I've been reading comics so long it's like I kind of see patterns of what the, what they're going to be doing. I can't say for certain that they were going to go in the direction that I think that they were going to go with a lot of these characters because Dreamwave went out of business, they went bankrupt, they didn't pay a lot of their creators, so the rest of the issues never came out. Uh, I know they solicited, I want to say it was supposed to be a six-issue miniseries, and I want to say they had solicits out for five of the six issues uh, before issue one even came out. So we kind of have an idea of where the story was supposed to go, but we'll never know. We, uh, we just will never know. I, I would love it, actually, if IDW brought these guys back uh, to finish Divided Front. Like, re-release this first issue because I'm almost certain that they have the rights, IDW has the rights to release the Dreamwave stuff that was done and get these guys to finish the story. Because I have a feeling the story was probably already written. Uh, maybe at least most of it was. Uh, I would love to see that. And then, I don't know, take this into the direction of a new G.I. Joe series of these guys writing the characters. So, so I'm going to go into this. And then after I'm done with this issue, I also have an ammo dump issue to cover with you guys. So um, we're going to talk about this issue here. And then afterwards, I'm going to go into another issue that has nothing to do with the properties that we cover on this show. But I figure it's something worth talking about because of stuff that's happening uh, in the near future when it comes to comics. So so going into this issue, we do have, like I said, writers are James McDonough, Adam uh, Paddock, and pencils are by Pat Lee. Uh, breakdowns were by uh, Nick Kilsian, and background is Edwin Gar Garcia. Uh, typically, breakdowns, for those that aren't familiar with comics, breakdowns are, are typically uh, artists that goes in and sets up it's almost like storyboards for a movie like the art isn't super detailed it just kind of lays out where the story is going to go and what's going to happen in different panels so that's where breakdowns are a lot of times larry hama will do breakdowns for um the cover of a book but he won't actually do all the work on the inside he's done from my understanding he's done some breakdowns for other books that he's done like some of the Batman books and everything else. Uh, I know Robert has done breakdowns for certain things, and then he's worked off of breakdowns for some people and everything else in the past. So uh, it's kind of just laying out where the story's going. Backgrounds. With this issue, you can tell there's a lot of like digital backgrounds and painted backgrounds. And there's a lot of times where a creator will do, will draw the characters, but the backgrounds are, you know, they're tedious, let's face it. They, they just are. You know, sometimes the detail that has to go into the backgrounds can be super tedious. So you get another artist to come in, and that artist creates all the backgrounds that the characters are going to be uh, put into or be standing in front of. That's what looks like it's going on with this one. We have inks by Rob Armstrong, colors by Anthony Washington and Alan uh, Wang, and letters, uh, the letter is Ben Lee. So don't know if it's related to Pat Lee, possibly. So when we open up this issue, we have where it says, you know, G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. The purpose to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Obviously, we know that as Joe fans, that is the classic line. It's one of the things, too, that I find interesting right now with IDW writing, uh, you know, creating G.I. Joe is, and, and you guys can agree or disagree with me on this, because I can, can kind of see both sides of it. 
you have COBRA that is a terrorist organization and terrorism is something that is out there in the real world today. You know, it always has been, but it's very prevalent nowadays. Why you can't write a G.I. Joe book that deals with terrorism, going against terrorism, it just blows my mind. Like, take some of the real world things that are happening and transition them into stories. I'm not saying take like something like 9-11 or the terrible tragedies that have happened in like London, Paris and things like that. I'm not saying like take those exact stories and have G.I. Joe deal with them, but find analogs for those things, you know, like take, you know, take those as concepts for how Cobra possibly could be trying to infiltrate things in the different countries and maybe even in different organizations and all that type of stuff. <clears throat> Use it as a basis and then add some espionage to it, add some intrigue, add some of the, the more fiction stuff to it some of the things that make it larger than life and everything else in action packed. That's, I think that's what people are looking for. And it seems like that should be something that Joe should represent right now. I mean, you have Captain America who was leading Hydra. I mean, we find out that it wasn't actually cap, which I think we all knew. Uh, well, a lot of us knew. Uh, and if you didn't know, if you stopped, you know, if you're banning Marvel because they, you know, they turned cap into a hydra agent well it wasn't the cap that we know and you know there was the whole cosmic cube thing that happened and all that cap is back and just when you need somebody to be standing up for american values and um, what america is as far as fighting the fight against terrorists like gi joe fit that fill that void so much and so easily you can still keep an international organization. That's fine, because there's a lot of you guys that are listening right now that are not in the United States, and thank you very much for listening, by the way. So it doesn't have to be a real American hero. Uh, I think you guys are fine if it is. You know, I don't think there's any issue with, oh, it's, you know, we've got to view it as an international organization, not just an American organization. You can still have it be a real American hero and still helps the world. I mean, that's what we should all be doing, you know, not to get on a soapbox, but that's what we should all be doing as a people is, you know, when we're in these countries and we're trying to fight the bad guys, you know, the people that want to do us harm and everything else, it shouldn't be about America or any other country. It should be all of us fighting together, but we can still be from wherever we're from. So like I said, GI Joe, you know, was a real American hero. Like I said, if you want to make an international organization, that's totally fine. It could still be G.I. Joe, but have them fight the terrorists. Have them fight Cobra. Have Cobra be part of the terrorists. And if you want to bring in another group, like the Red Shadows or something like that, as being like a third group, that's great. Like, that would be really cool. Like, maybe they are, you know, Cobra's the terrorists, but maybe the Red Shadows are the extreme terrorists, or maybe they're kind of your you know, the, some of the crap we're dealing with right now, maybe they're your racist extremists, you know, neo-Nazi type characters, you know, it doesn't have to be in your face. It doesn't have to be, you know, preachy or anything like that, but you can just pull from some, from some real world things. And like I said, add that little splash of fiction to it. <clears throat> so this way it's not like, Oh God, I'm trying to read GI Joe to escape reality. And they're just throwing reality in my face, you know, add the, add that taste of fiction to it, add that 
you know, those larger than life story elements to it, you know, add the, the Cobra vehicles and the Joe vehicles and all that type of stuff to it. Hell, add in, you know, you're trying to do this Hasbro universe, add in some of the stuff like they're doing in this issue of Divided Front where you, you have the the uh, Decepticons and the Autobots showing up here and there. You know, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think anyone does. But you got to get back to this being a military group. You know, it just it just needs to be back to a military group. And when Rev, uh, Revolution was happening, it felt like that's the direction we were going in. It felt like, because you saw them pull tarps off of all the old classic G.I. Joe vehicles and everything. You had Sky Strikers and Vamps and everything else. And I was like, okay, they're getting back to the core of G.I. Joe. And then afterwards, we started going zany again with G.I. Joe. Like, after Revolution ended, it was back to, let's head down that zany path again. Let's get back to this being a military organization that's having to deal with larger-than-life situations. And they find a way to make it work. They find a way to make it work because that's who they are. They don't give up. They work as a team. But they're also family. You know, they, they have their problems inside themselves dealing with each other sometimes, but at the end of the day, they put those differences aside and they fight as a team. That can be very inspirational for some of the things that we're dealing with in the world right now. You know, you that was the thing that was awesome, has always been awesome about comics, is when things suck their worst. I could read a story back in the day, and even currently, there's certain things that I can read and go, there's the fighting spirit that I'm looking for. There's the motivation that I need. G.I. Joe can so much be that, and it's just not right now. But when I go back and read some a story like this, I do get that feeling. I do get that feeling that they're this fighting force, that they're looking to take down the terrorists. It's it's just it's cool to go back and read some of these stories, and this is what I would love G.I. Joe to get back to. So going back into the story, we have Flint is there. They're in New York City, New York. It is uh, 1985 at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, and Flint is saying, all right, listen up, you meatheads. You know, they, they found this cor uh, Cobra location. Uh, there's a little file card symbol next to Flint. It says Flint Warrant Officer, Current Mission Leader. He's like, let's go in there and take care of these snakes and call it a day. Then it opens up to a huge double splash page, and, you know, Flint's yelling out, yo, Joe. And there we have a bunch of little, a bunch of Joe agents and everything else that are taking on Cobra grunts, and uh, they're shooting down a, a stinger. They're uh, taking on, a, they're uh, shooting down a fang. The stinger, they're blowing it up, not shooting it down, but they're shooting down a fang. They're taking on a hiss tank, and you got you know snake eyes is flying through there. In each one of the guys, they introduce who it is. They show that it's, you know, so if you're unfamiliar with who these characters are, you have that little file card folder looking thing that says what the who the character is. So you have Snake Eyes says Commando. We only see Quick Kick's uh, hand, but he's throwing a throwing star, and it says Silent Weapons, uh, Grand Slam. He's an artillery soldier. We have Blowtorch, Flamethrower. Uh, we have Clutch and Rock and Roll which is Vamp Driver and Machine Gunner. Although they spell machine, I think, kind of, I'm assuming maybe a European way, which is M-A-C-H-I-E-N-E. -E. Um, and then we have Mutton Junkyard, Dog Handler, and Canine. And then we have Gung Ho, who is a Marine. Then we have Destro. He's, you know, 
saying that we need to fight. All the troops are like negative. We're getting out of here. Destro calls for scrap iron to evacuate, get everything ready to, to so they can get their package out of there. Uh, shipwrecks like, hey, Dr. Doom, <laughs> and uh, punches him in the face, which I love that little nod to, you know, Dr. Doom's got the metal mask, so does Destro. Of course, Shipwreck forgets that that metal mask is metal, and it hurts his hand. Uh, Destro kicks him in the face, and then Flint runs up and set, you know punches him in the gut, saying, I'm assuming that, that, uh, that's, that there's no uh, steel-plated girdle under that supervillain get-up. Uh, and he's like, didn't think so. And uh, asks Shipwreck, how, how's the hand? And as he's taking care of Shipwreck, they notice all these uh, trouble bubbles pop up out of the skylight of a warehouse building, and they don't know what this is. So just so you know, this takes place 50 years after the previous story. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. So the previous story took place in World War II. This totally picks up 50 years later. So that's the universe that we're dealing with right now. We are not necessarily dealing with G.I. Joe and Cobra as maybe we know them. Uh, there's elements of them that we already know and that they're already familiar with, but everything looks just kind of normal other than maybe the the Hiss tanks. You know, those are kind of unique, but they still look like tanks. They're still something that G.I. Joe recognizes. These trouble bubbles are nothing like anything they've seen before. Uh, so they totally catch them off guard. They're shooting down at Flint and Shipwreck. They take out the vamp. Snake Eyes is coming running. And, you know, got Blowtorch saying, uh, what is this, an episode of the Twilight Zone? Uh, you got one of the Cobra grunts, uh, then we see is pushing Destro out of the way. He's going to get in the last trouble bubble. And Scrap Iron takes out that grunt and says there's only one left, and that's for Destro. So very loyal Scrap Iron, very typical of that character. You know, he does what's asked of him. Uh, and Destro recognizes that and acknowledges and says, you know, because Scrap Iron's like, well, I'm just going to take one of the water moccasins out along the water route. But uh, Destro's like, that's blocked off. You'll never get out. You know, hop on, basically. And uh, Flint goes chasing after him. But Destro flies off and fires a, a missile down at Flint. Uh, Flint gets out of the way just in time. And then back at, they're already back at base. So it jumps ahead. And Flint is getting reprimanded. Uh, I'm assuming that it's Duke in there. It doesn't really say who's talking to him and the person's kind of in shadows, but based on what we see later on, I'm thinking it's Duke, but it's definitely a commanding officer of Flint. He points out that, you know, let me see if I got all this straight. You know, you had everything under, under, you know, under control until Cobra came out with some of these things that look like it came straight out of Buck Rogers, which I thought was cool. And uh, Flint says, like, I wouldn't put it necessarily in those words, but yes, and he says, I'm sorry. The commanding officer says, Nathaniel never gave apologies. He gave results. And Nathaniel is uh, Flint's father. Uh, and Nathaniel appeared in the first miniseries. So the one who helped uncover some of the Transformers originally back then. So then uh, he dismisses him. We then see we're in Oregon over uh, Mount St. Hillary. And it's about 3 o'clock in the morning. And we have two characters are talking to each other as the ship is crashing. And we can see the shoulder. It's They're definitely Cybertronians. They're likely Autobots. Uh, and I say that because when we see the shoulder of one of them, 
it looks like it's Perceptor's shoulder. Unless the coloring is off, based on something we see later, if the coloring is off, it could have been Blaster, but we do know later on that Perceptor and Blaster both are on this, this crashed ship. So the coloring suggests that it is Perceptor. So, uh, But the ship crashes. It is recognized as being crashed by Cobra, and Cobra Commander says we have to get out there, send some people, uh, some of our contacts that we have in that area to monitor it, and don't let anyone get near it. So they do a radio broadcast to a ranger that's out at a ranger station. It's like make sure that uh, you know we've identified there's an unidentified aircraft that was down. We need you to check uh, search the scene for survivors immediately. And the ranger says no problem. We're already on it. And you can see in the foreground uh, as he's saying we're already on it that there's a Cobra uniform uh, there in the foreground. So. Uh, then we go to uh, Cobra Island moments later, and we have a bunch of mores getting ready to launch to head out to the area, and we get Starscream. He's flying over, and this is where it's important to know. This is one of the times where it's important to know, and just like the Nath referring to Nathaniel being Flint's father, this one also is important to know that this is a sequel to that first miniseries of Transformers G.I. Joe because Starscream refers to the fact that he's glad he's out of that outdated uh, form that he was in because now he's in a, a fighter jet form that we're familiar with, but he was obviously in a World War II style jet form back during World War II. Uh, he was like, you know what, I'm low on Energon, so I'm going to let these guys take care of the issue of the crashed ship. Hopefully this ship will be something that can get me out of here. And I just love how it, he flies over Cobra Island and down below you can see in the forest uh, is the terror drone. So that was, that's kind of cool with the artwork. Then when we turn the page, uh, I'm gonna talk about the ads a little bit in here as well because these are just things that kind of never happened. So uh, one of them is Kill Zone. It was based on the forthcoming PlayStation 2 War Epic, uh, just says War is Coming November 2004, uh, and that's when this comic came out, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned that as well, it was 2004. Um, I guess it was supposed to be a comic that was going to be coming out for the game called Killzone, and to, from everything that I could look up, that never happened. Now, unless that comic or a, ver a small version of the comic was put into like the game manual itself, and Dreamwave created that, I don't know, but I know... I was not able to find any reference to an actual comic called Kill Zone based on that game uh, that came out in 2004. So it's unfortunate, but you know it's kind of this time bubble thing where you look back and you realize that because Dreamwave never, you know, because they went bankrupt, they never produced some of the things that could have been really cool because they did get some good talent to work on a lot of these things. So then we go, we're back to G.I. Joe headquarters, they're in the weight room, and you have the song Eye of the Tigers playing in the background, which is awesome. Flint is doing some bench presses, uh, Shipwreck's kind of talking to him like, you know, kind of don't worry about things, and Flint's like, I don't need a head shrink, and he refers to him as Blackbeard at one point. Uh, they get a call, and he's like, I've, I've got to get uh, going, he's like, do me a favor, hold down the fort while I'm gone. And uh, then on the next page, we get another ad. And this is actually for something that did come out. Uh, it was for Transformers Energon. It was issue number 29, 
scheduled to come out in November. We had Alex Milne and Simon Furman working on that. Simon Furman is definitely someone very well known for doing Transformers for a really long time. He did it in the old Marvel run. Uh, he came back and did some work for IDW, and he obviously did some work for, for Dreamwave. Alex Milne is a, a creator, uh, artist that we still see today doing work for IDW uh, here and there. So uh, really cool to see those names and see that you know they've enjoyed the property so much that they just come back to do it over and over again, no matter who the company is. Um, but with this ad, it says Megatron is back for good. So uh, I do have the entire Armada Energon series. I, the animated series was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, but I will say I thought the comic was really good uh, that Dreamwave did for Transformers. So it started off as Transformers Armada, then it changed over to Transformers Energon. And I thought it was really well done. I believe it went for about 30 issues, and I think all 30 were produced. Uh, it actually had an ending. It's one of the few things that Dreamwave created that I believe actually ended the way it was supposed to end uh, before they went bankrupt. I know that issue 29 came out because I, I have, I'm like 99.99% sure that that issue came out because I think I have that one because uh, I have the whole run. So uh, going back to the story here, uh, they're in route uh, about one hour later. And we have Airtight, who is a bio, biohazard specialist. We have Bazooka's anti-tank specialist. And we have Doc, who's the medic. And Bazooka's asking, uh, you know, basically, well, sir, you know, what's going on? And we have Flint is talking to his commanding officers, saying, you know, trying to find out what is the situation. They say, we're sending you to, the, to a crash site. Uh, be ready for anything. We just don't know what to expect for you. Uh, you're going to meet up with Spirit and his new team of Joes. Uh, he, Spirit is going to take the lead from there. And Flint is like, Spirit, but sir. And he's like, no buts, officer. So Flint doesn't take that too well. And he kind of just points out the whole situation to his team as far as what they're going to be doing. You know, Airtight turns to Snake Eyes. It's like, what crawled up his arse? Like I said, Flint's just not taking it well. And this is where I, like, I was saying earlier that I don't know if <clears throat> this wasn't how I expect Flint to act. And I don't know if they were going to be leading him down a path story-wise, like to be the leader that I know and you know him to be. So, you know, starting him off as being this, you know, younger officer who has his team screws up and it's almost like a, uh, like Falcon in a way, uh, where it's like he screws up and then he learns to, uh, because of the situation they're in, he learns to become the leader that he should be. So I think that's where they were probably going with this is like he's disheartened with his failures. He's, he's frustrated because he's not in command, all that type of stuff. You can see all that here. And then, you know, I have a feeling they were going to develop him as the story went on into being the leader. But we have Bazooka's asking, you know, or team's asking, is it Cobra? You know, Flint says, not sure, Doc. And then we have uh, Bazooka asking, is it the Ruskies? <laughs> and uh, especially with this being in the 80s. And Flint's, or the story taking place in the 80s. And uh, Flint says, no, Bazooka. Uh, I don't think it's the Russians. And uh, the next page is another ad. Again, I just kind of want to touch on these ads a little bit. Uh, this is for Transformers. And like I said, in my opinion, Dreamwave did a fantastic job with Transformers. I really love the art. The stories were always fun. 
Uh, they were probably some quick reads overall, but they I still really enjoyed them. Uh, this was supposed an advertisement for issue 11, which never came out. Uh, but it says, move over boys, it's ladies night. And this was supposed to introduce for through the Dreamwave continuity, the female Cybertronians, the female Transformers. And this issue just never came out. Uh, if I remember right, there is an issue, and I have to find it again, because uh, I've seen it out there in the wild. <laughs> there was a Dreamwave special that came out, and I have to find the name of it again, but it had preliminary pages for issue 11 in it because I believe Dreamwave ended with issue 10 when they went bankrupt. And this was this issue 11 was supposed to be the next issue that came out. And there was preview pages for it in like one of their specials. And it wasn't a Transformers special. It wasn't anything like that. I would definitely have had that. But there is a special or something like that where they put these preview pages in there. It's the only thing that was ever published for this issue. And you can find, I think you can find the issue for like 20 bucks or under. Uh, it's still out there. I just need to find out what that title is. Again, I knew it at one point, and I was kind of keeping my eyes open for one, maybe at a little bit better price or something like that. But it's something I would really like to get. Um, so this way I can kind of read those, at least those preview pages and kind of see where they were going to be going. Then we have, we jump into the, back into the story. We have the jungle scene where the crash site happened. And we have CoverGirl, uh, who's armor driver. Uh, Alpine, which is a mountain trooper, and Barbecue, who's a firefighter. Covergirl is talking and saying, you know, maybe we can uh, sneak up on them and everything else. And then she, you know, turns because she hears a noise. And it's Flint who says, you know, if you're going to be making so much uh, noise, you know, they're going to hear you coming. Uh, he refers to Covergirl's gorgeous. Then he asks, where's your squad leader and their spirit? who taps him on the shoulder from behind because he, of course, sneaks up on people. I find it interesting, too, when they show CoverGirl because she, when she spins around, she has a very anime face in this issue. You know, there, there's an anime influence throughout this entire issue, but it's not very heavy. It's got kind of a grittier look to it throughout the issue. But in that one panel where CoverGirl spins around, it is very anime-looking. It is very manga-looking. Um, so I found that kind of interesting because the re the rest of it she doesn't look that way then on the next page again another ad for stuff that dreamwave was working on we have transformers war within the age of wrath and uh it was advertisement for issue three which three issues of this did come out so this issue from my understanding yeah this issue did come out um it was the other th next three issues that did not come out so they did do War Within. There was another War Within series that was called The Dark Ages. And then this was The Age of Wrath, and The Age of Wrath never got completed. So, again, would love to. It was Simon Furman working on it, and he still works in the business and works on uh, Transformers. Would love to see, again, IDW grab this, re-release the first three issues, and then have Simon Furman finish it. And it was Joe Ng, N-G, uh, is his last name, I believe, uh, have, have Joe finish the artwork if he's still in the business. So, so anyways, back into the story again, uh, we have, it's, we get another file card that says spirit tracker. Uh, he's like, it's been a long time Flint. And he's like, yeah, it has. 
he's like, you already know, and he introduces all the guys. He says, of course, uh, greetings, my friend. He's, Flint says, who are these FNGs, which are freaking new guys? I'm sure the F does not stand for freaking, but they had to put it that way in the comic. It's like, these are uh, teammate, the newest teammates. He says, I was completing their wilderness survival and recon training when uh, we were brought, we were contacted about this mission. It's like, meet Barbecue, uh, Alpine, and Covergirl. The bazooka says, and she's pretty. Uh, just, I can't get the the cartoon voice out of my head at all. Because you get, uh, Barbecue's like, huh? There's only three of you, and the last, and she's pretty. It's like, yeah, take a shot to the head one more time. We have Alpine who says, watch it, Ditka. Which was a fantastic line to refer to Bazooka. Uh, he's like, we're about the quality and not the quantity. And this is, an, this is another thing where it's kind of like, um, I think it was something they were going to be developing. Again, when you kind of read so many stories and or even watch so many movies or something like that, it's like, this is a classic path to go down. And, not, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, it's so cliche, like, oh, my God. You see it coming a mile away. Like it was done very well in here and, and enjoyable, but it's you know since we don't get to see the future where this went, it's something where it's like okay, your mind has to just kind of think about what could have been. Where were they gonna go with the story? So starting off in this issue, we don't have Alpine and Bazooka being friends, and we know from at least the cartoon universe that they were best friends and they you know they worked together and everything else. So I have a feeling this was gonna this story was gonna start off with. Alpine being annoyed by Bazooka and them not being friends. But then as time goes on, again, through the battles they go through and saving each other and working together, by the end, they would be best friends. So, and be the characters that we knew from the cartoon, probably. We have Flint saying, we've got a mission here. And then, you know, Spirit says, you know, we have to be cautious. Uh, So they start heading out. Uh, Flint is like, who does he think he is giving me, uh, giving my guys orders and Snake Eyes taps him. He's like, what? And Snake Eyes, you know, gives a silence signal, like the shush signal. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Snake Eyes mission first. So, you know, I think that's where we start seeing Flint, you know, he, he's annoyed, he's frustrated and everything else. But then, you know, you have, the Flint that we know is like, yeah, the, the mission comes first before, you know, my feelings and, and everything. So all of a sudden, one of the Cobra Grunts knows the Joes and they start shooting at them. Uh, Snake Eyes is sent to suppress some of the fire. Spirit sneaks up ahead to try to take out some of the fangs because they find out that there are uh, some fa- uh, Cobra fangs ahead. They're trying to get the crashed sight you know whatever stuff had fallen from the sky out of there but spirit is able to stop a lot of them the one fang starts taking off and flint yells out to cover girl to take those fangs down now uh but she shoot when she shoots up at them finds out that they're bulletproof uh alpine shoots his grappling hook up and he says but they're not alpine proof and he gets launched up and uh bazooka says hold on i got you buddy and he falls, typical bazooka, from at least bazooka from the cartoon, typical bazooka. And he falls, and his bazooka, you know, fires and hits the fang, just misses Alpine. And Alpine says, I ain't your buddy, you trigger-happy Neanderthal. You could have fried me all along with, uh, fried me along with that fang. And bazooka's like, uh, but I didn't, right? So this is kind of one of the things that I talked about in the past, too, where it's like, 
take elements of the cartoon, take some of the fun of the cartoon, but still give it a, a more serious tone than what the cartoon had. And that's what they did with this. Like, I, I feel like this did have the spirit of the cartoon. And it was good that they were doing this because you, at the same time, you had Devil's Due creating a, the continuation of a Real American Hero comic that Marvel had done. So you had the Real American Hero comic going on, and then you had something like this that came out that was more of the car light-hearted cartoon side of it, even though it was still gritty and still had you know, some high action going on. It wasn't as goofy as the cartoon was, but it had elements of the cartoon in it. So it was different enough. And I, that's why I feel like something like this right now could work really well for IDW because it's lighthearted, but it's still serious enough that Joe fans, I think, would really love it. So going into the next page here, uh, we have Flint giving an order for uh, Blowtorch to uh, fry, fry the fang, and he's hesitant to do so because he doesn't want to light the whole f uh, forest on fire. Then we have uh, Barbecue saying, don't worry, you light it up and I will put it out. So Blowtorch is like, all right. Uh, then he fires it out and then uh, Barbecue puts it out. And what has fallen to the ground is Blaster and Perceptor. Uh, and they don't know what they're looking at right now. Then we fast forward ahead, which hours later, and everyone's getting off their transport and Shipwreck says, I love this because it's a very Star Joe's moment. Uh, he says, whoa, uh, did we add Darth Vader to the roster? And he's referring to Barbecue, uh, who has the mask and everything else. So, And Doc says, I wouldn't laugh. We might all need spacesuits soon enough, referring to what they just found. And then we have CoverGirl comes off and he says, are we, bust, are we enlisting angels now too? And Flint tells me, trust me, I've seen her in action. Uh, you're not her type. She can read. And he goes, and besides, I saw her first, which, again, I don't see Flint really acting that way. But again, this is kind of a younger Flint. He's a little bit more cocky. He's a little bit more um, not the leader that we know. And like I said, I think they were probably going to develop towards that. Uh, this also kind of sets up the fact that Shipwreck and CoverGirl might have a relationship later on in the story. Um, so, I, again, I think they were kind of just planting the seeds in this first issue for the things we kind of expect to see happen. And then we have Flint saying, because uh, Spirit comes off the the ship, and he's like, perfect, the village people reunion is almost complete. Because so, you have Spirit the Indian, you have Shipwreck the, the sailor. So um, Spirit says, Duke wishes to speak with us. And they go into this, uh, tr like, almost this tribunal-type room. We have Duke introducing Stalker and Scarlet to Flint and Spirit. And it's noted that Stalker and Scarlet are both retired. But it's revealed, you know, that they were there when a lot of these Transformers first showed up. And they show Optimus Prime fighting Megatron. And they point out that this happened during World War II. And he says, our job now is to keep it from becoming World War III. And that says to be continued. And then there's this awesome letter uh, called Operation Combination. And it's from James McDonough and Adam uh, Paddock talking about what their plans are with Divided Front, where they wanted to go, with where they want to go with the story and all that type of stuff. They were excited about this. They were really looking forward to this. But that's it for the issue. We, we don't get anything else uh, for this. So it's sad. I mean, at the back of the page, we get Unleash the Beast, uh, Beast Wars Transformers. It 
and it just says Dreamwave. Uh, that, from my understanding, was going to be the next comic that Dreamwave produced. Uh, it just never happened. The only thing we got close to that was Dreamwave did a summer special where they introduced, I believe it was three, maybe four different versions of Transformers, and they were basing it on stuff that had been out there. So they already did the G1. They introduced, uh, I believe it was, well, they did introduce Beast Wars. They also introduced, I believe it was like Robots in Disguise version, you know, and stuff like that. They were like, you know, it was basically let us know what you want the next Transformers series to be. And Beast Wars won handedly. Uh, I don't think that would be a surprise to anyone because they were already doing the Armada stuff. They were already doing the G1 stuff. Beast Wars just was a natural thing to go into. Um, I will say I have the summer special and I've never read it. So that might be another one, much like Divided Front, that I will probably go back and read it and maybe do another one of these Kessel runs based on just that issue. The reason I had never read this issue was because I knew it never turned into anything else. It never had a, even a second issue. So it was just like, part of you is like, I don't really want to read it because it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't finish. But at the same time, it's like, I want to read it because I want to see if it was any good. And I read it and I actually really enjoyed it. Like I said, I would love to get these guys to be the ones that are currently working on G.I. Joe. Because I feel like they can really develop the characters. You get personalities in here. You get good stories. They focus on the military side of Joe. Um, it just seems like it would be a really good fit for what we want as Joe fans. Um, you guys might think differently. Let me know. Uh, you know, Email the show. Let, it, let me know. I'm happy to read your comments uh, on the air and everything else. Uh, you can email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, have you read Divided Front? Did you enjoy it? Did you like where it was going? I mean, this issue is very Joe Cobra heavy, so we don't get a lot of the Transformers in this issue. Uh, we get a little bit of Starscream, and then we get the you know the crash ship and everything with Blaster and Perceptor, and that's it. So this was a very Joe heavy issue, and it gave me an idea of what Joe could be like, you know, and still have that shared universe. So yeah, like I said, we were supposed to get Beast Wars. Uh, we never did. I mean, IDW eventually did, and they did like two miniseries, uh, which I thought were pretty decent. I think it could have, I think that could have probably been done a little bit better um, to kind of introduce people that aren't familiar with Beast Wars, like kind of just relaunch it into something. But I like what they're doing now with Transformers. Like a lot of the Beast Wars characters are appearing in the main Transformers series. You know, we've had Rat Trap show up and Waspinator and uh, I believe Rhinox has shown up, and so you, you do have some characters that have shown up. I believe even Cheetor has, has shown up, and I know some of the Spider characters have as well. So, um, so I like the fact that they are incorporating those characters as we as we go on. I believe even more of them have shown up with the Council of Worlds and everything. So, but yeah, really good issue. Really enjoyed it. Really sad that Dreamwave went out of business for multiple reasons, but. Would have loved to have seen this miniseries get completed. So, yeah, Lisa, I'd love to hear what your guys' thoughts are when it comes to Divided Front. Now, uh, I have one more issue to cover with you guys. I mentioned that I was going to do something else. Uh, and as I mentioned in one of the earlier episodes, just because I'm doing these castle runs and trying to get them out doesn't mean I'm trying to limit the content that I'm providing for you guys. I want to still give you guys full episodes and talk about stuff that are that's interesting to me talk about you know issues that are interesting to me like i said doing this 
these episodes, it allowed me to finally sit down and go, you know what, let me read Divided Front and see what it was like. See what, you know, I have had that issue for so long. I've had multiple copies of that issue for so long with different covers and everything else and never sat down and read it. Finally, in 2017, I'm reading it, which was 13 years after it came out. So, you know, only took took me over a decade to read it, but I finally read it. And like I said, really enjoyed it and sad that it had to end. So, so now I'm going to go and actually do an ammo dump for you guys. All right, so Marvel Legacy is happening. It's it's coming up, and it's supposed to kind of bring back a lot of the classic characters that we know and love to the Marvel Universe. I Personally, I'm hoping that we'll see uh, characters like Fantastic Four make a comeback. Um, you know, I'd love to see... I know we're probably going to get, like, Steve Rogers coming back uh, as Captain America permanently and stuff like that. I don't want to lose any of the newer characters that we've had. Uh, I want to see Tony Stark back as Iron Man. Uh, I like Riri Williams as Iron Heart. Great new additional character. But, you know, I want Tony back as Iron Man. So the other character that has received a lot of controversy, but I really like the character, and it's the character I want to talk about today, is Jane Foster Thor. Uh, I really love Jason Aaron's run with the character of Jane Foster being Thor. If you are not reading Thor or haven't read Thor or Mighty Thor since Jason Aaron took it over, um, you are really missing out on something epic. Uh, he does such a great character development. Jane Foster, you get total empathy for. Uh, you really start caring about her. I do want to see Odinson come back as Thor, be able to lift the hammer again, everything else, but I don't want to lose Jane Foster as Thor either. Like I don't, I think the both can exist together and however they decide to do it is fine with me, but I really hope that we don't lose Jane Foster as Thor. There's a story coming up that's called the death. I believe it's called the death of Jane Foster. Or it might be death of Thor, but I think it's called the death of Jane Foster. I've seen a cover for it where, you know, she's laying in death, lady death's arms, much like Captain Marvel did and the death of Captain Marvel. So I'm hoping it doesn't mean that she's actually going to die. I, I, I don't, I, I feel like it's too obvious by calling it that, but at the same time, it was, there was the graphic novel called Death of Captain Marvel, and then Captain Marvel died in it. Not to, to spoil a really old book for you, but he does, he dies in it. And it was very emotional, and it was, it was such a great story. And it makes sense that we're dealing with Jane Foster because Jane Foster is dying from cancer also. And that's what Captain Marvel died of. It wasn't fighting some huge villain or anything like that. He died of cancer, which is very emotional and cancer sucks. And there's a lot of people out there that I know suffer through it. And I'm sure there's going to be people in the, you know, listening to this that, you know, sad to say there's some of us are going to have to deal with cancer in our lives and everything else. It sucks. Uh, but that's what made the story with Captain Marvel so powerful and so emotional. It's also what makes Jason Aaron's run on Thor so powerful and emotional is you have Jane Foster dealing with cancer. It's interesting because if you're not reading it, basically is Jane Foster has cancer. She is currently Thor. She's the one that is worthy of lifting the hammer. Now, the issue I'm going to cover today 
we don't know it's Jane Foster as Thor, but it's that spoiler has been out there for a long time, so I don't mind saying it. What happens for her is she is going through chemo treatments and everything else, and the doctors can't figure out what's going on because the chemo treatments are showing signs that it should be helping her and that she could actually go into remission. But she seems to be getting sicker and sicker. And the reason why is because when she goes for the treatments, things sometimes happen and she has to become Thor. And Thor has healing abilities. Uh, so he actually, you know, I shouldn't say he, she can actually cause the poisons to go, that chemo uses to kill the cancer to leave her body. Her healing factor basically causes that, that chemo treatment to exit her body. Then when she stops being Thor and she's Jane Foster, she doesn't have the chemo treatment healing her. And it's not like you're going to show up at the hospital going, I need another treatment because I just became Thor. And, you know, even though that probably would solve a lot of things, but she doesn't want to reveal that she's Thor. So that's what's happening. She's dying a slow death because she's becoming Thor to help people and help the world and everything else. So, you know, is the solution that she just stays Thor forever? And, you know, is that what the death of Jane Foster is? Is the fact that she's just going to stay Thor forever so she doesn't die and she can still help people? I don't know. Or does she leave, you know, her persona as Jane Foster in the past? Uh, you know, does she find a way to cure herself? Uh, or should should have her cancer go into remission or something like that, but she can't be Jane Foster anymore in order to do that? I, I don't know. Or is Jane Foster going to die in her version of Thor die with her. They like said it'd be sad if they did that because as powerful as that would be, I, I mean, it would. I certainly wouldn't be mad if they did that because it could be a very powerful story and it can mean a lot to a lot of people. Hell, it could even bring a tear to your eye. The Captain Marvel one, I know when that came out, that was very emotional for a lot of people to read. So because there is that story coming out and Marvel Legacy for a lot of their titles are, are going to their legacy numbering and the start of this story with Jane Foster, the death of Jane Foster, is going to be issue number 700 of Thor. So what I'm doing is I did get behind on reading Mighty Thor. I had read Jason Aaron's Thor run, which was about eight issues before Secret War happened, and then there was an annual as well. So I read all of those. I had started reading Mighty Thor, started getting behind on it, and have just been getting the issues all along. I want to read all of those issues before the story arc starts, or at least soon, not too soon, not finish those issues not too long after that story arc starts so that I can totally be reading the whole thing and have it done when the last issue comes out of that story arc and kind of be there in the moment with everybody else who's reading it. So what I decided to do is I was like, well, I'm going to go back to the beginning because it's been a while since I've read the Jane Foster Thor, since I read the first eight issues I only read the first few issues of Mighty Thor, and it's up to 20-some issues right now. It's like, let me go back and just start from the beginning again so this way it's all fresh, it's all powerful. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be covering Divided Front tonight, uh, and, talk, and I talked about you know where Joe could go as a title. So I was like, I know where Thor is going as a title. Let me cover that issue. So what I'm covering today is Thor number 1 by Jason Aaron. It came out in 2014. I'll give the rest of the credits out here. So we're actually, I also found it interesting because it was totally done unintentionally that I would be reading a story that takes place 10 years after Divided Front came out. So Divided Front came out in 2004. This issue comes out in 2014. So exactly, not exactly, but pretty much a decade after that. 
is when this issue came out, like a decade and a couple months. So I found that kind of interesting because I was like, I'm going to cover this issue. And I was like, oh my God, 10 years difference. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so I, I actually read, you know, this issue again and I love it as much as I did the first time. Uh, so I wanted to share it with you guys. I was like, I'm going to cover an ammo dump. It's been a while since I've, we've done an ammo dump on the show. But I'm going to treat this ammo dump just like I do the Kessel Run. I'm going to go through the issue. I'll go through this one a little bit faster uh, than I do with the typical Kessel Run. But the writer is Jason Aaron. The artist is Russell Dowderman. Colorist is Matthew Wilson. Uh, we have letterer and production is VC Joe Sabino. Uh, cover artist is Russell Dowderman and Frank Martin. Then we have a bunch of variant covers by Sarah Pacelli and Laura Martin, uh, Asad Ribic. Uh, and Asad Ribic was the one doing a lot of the art for the Thor series that was taking place before this when it was Odinson as Thor. And that was written by Jason Aaron, and that was amazing as well. So totally worth picking up anything Thor-related by that Jason Aaron wrote. It's epically awesome. There was a cover by Andrew Robinson, Alex Ross, Fiona Staples, and of course a Scotty Young one as well. This issue opens up with a submersible uh, for Roxxon Corporation checking out some readings of energy that they had received. And when they get there, they don't really notice anything going on, but then they notice this mountain range uh, ahead of them that isn't on any of their charts. And then they notice that the mountain range is moving and a giant hand comes towards them, and the undersea station is trying to reach them after hearing their last transmission, but they can't reach them. And then they start getting readings of uh, perimeter alarms or of something coming near them. They activate the attack sharks, which I think are hilarious. It's literally what you would expect a James Bond villain to have. It's these sh sharks with like remote control headpieces on them to go out and attack stuff. Uh, it looks awesome. They they notice what's, you know, they're like, well, maybe it's the men coming back, so maybe we shouldn't send the sharks out. And they're like, unless they gained a few thousand pounds, it's not the men. We see a giant hand picking up, uh, coming up from a trench. It's pulling itself up. Uh, we have a giant foot that stomps on one of the sharks. They're noticing that, you know, the sharks are being taken out, flatlining one at a time. Uh, then all of a sudden, one of the guys controlling the uh, main boards and everything else says, Oh my God. And we get this awesome two page splash again, much like we had divided front opening up this story. And this is very cinematic. Like everything that's happened up to this point, it's just this whole issue kind of feels like it could be a movie. Like if they ever did a story like this for a Thor movie, I think it could be so awesome. But we have, it's the Frost Giants. The Frost Giants are coming, and they're ready to smash this underwater station. And uh, then we get the opening title, which is If He Be Worthy. And we have Thor, Odin's son. He's trying to lift the hammer, and he can't. And it seems like that's kind of a flashback to him trying to lift it. Because then we have the moon. Uh, it's in the shadow of Asgardia. Thor has just been kneeling there in front of the hammer. Odin. He is back from his Odin sleep. Uh, and all this takes place right after fear itself. So fear itself occurred, and that's when Thor lost his worthiness. Odin has woken up and from his Odin sleep, and he's like, you know, Freya, uh, Thor's mother, says, you know, he's been there and he won't talk. And Odin says, you know, he might not talk to you, but he'll talk to his father. And 
he goes to go talk to his son and he asks, you know, what has happened that's caused you to be unworthy? And he yells out Thor and Thor is just looking down where it says, whoever holds the hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And Thor's just saying, please, Mjolnir, please move. Puts his hand on it. He can't lift it at all. Freya says that's all he's been doing day and night. And Odin believes that the hammer must be bewitched. Freya's like, uh, I spoke with the mortal they call the Captain of America. Uh, he told me of a great battle, which was the fear itself battle. Their enemy had been imbued with the powers and insights of the cosmic observer known as the Watcher. And at some point during the battle, our sun was left as you see. And that's when Thor says, whisper. All he did was whisper. And we know that uh, Nick Fury, the old white Nick Fury, he whispered something in Thor's ear. And it's later on that we do read what he says. And for the life of me, I can't remember what exactly Nick Fury says. It was something very simple, though. And it just caused... Thor to doubt himself, and because he doubted himself, he's no longer he no longer became worthy. Odin, you know, says he can't believe this. He Freya says to him, you know, since you were the one that designated that the hammer can decide who's worthy, you know, maybe there's something you can do about it. And Odin's like, of course. He's like, stand aside, boy. He says this folly folly ends now, and he can't live lift it either. And he puts a ton of power. He you know calls upon the hammer to obey him and still nothing. So then the crows of Odin show up and it's, uh, I believe they're pronounced Hugin and Munin. They come down and they tell basically that in their crow speak that at, you know, Midgard has been attacked by the frost giants of Jot uh, Jotun or Jotun. I believe it's Jotun. I uh, think the J's pronounced like a Y. And Odin says that it would appear the Frost Giants have invaded Midgard. And Freya says, and so it begins. I have feared this uh, day would come. You know, they, the warriors through asking, what would you have us do, my liege? And he says, Odin says, return to Asgard. Uh, Asgardia, this is not our fight. And Freya says, ready the Frost Bridge, uh, the Bifrost Bridge. Uh, we march to war. And Odin's like, basically says, no, we're not. This is not our fight. And I'm the one in charge now. I came out of my sleep. You're no longer in charge. Thor starts walking away, and Freya asks where he's going. He says, to the Hall of Weapons, and then home. Odin points out, see, even he's going to be heading back to Asgardia. And Freya says, I don't think that's what he meant uh, as his home. Odin says, uh, and you, uh, the fleeting age of the All-Mother has passed. Asgard will be again as it was for centuries, with Odin alone above all. It is the time you re you remembered your place in that world, Freya. And she goes, and as he walks away, she says, yes, perhaps it is. And she walks away. Now we know later on what happens is Freya puts an enchantment on the hammer uh, so that it's not, so that somebody else can lift the hammer. feel like it's that, that battle between Freya and Odin, like they're husband and wife, but they're also both gods and, you know, and Odin, let's face it, Odin is an ass. He he just is. He's the pompous ass that thinks he's always right, that he's got the power, all that type of stuff. Uh, and Freya is the softer side of him. She still leads, she can still command, but she's the one that sees that he's a pompous ass and will call him out on it oftentimes. But there's other times where 
she doesn't call him out on it, but she does scheming behind his back in order to do things the way they should be done. You know, there, there's two types of scheming. There's scheming like Loki does, which is, you know, for his own benefit and everything else. And then there's scheming like Freya does. And scheming might be a negative word to use. And so I apologize, but it, it really is what she does. She she does things behind Odin's back for the betterment of others. And Odin deserves to have some scheming done behind him because, again, he's an ass. Uh, we then get back to the underwater base, which has been completely totaled. There's a few people surviving. And we get Malekith the Accursed. And Malekith showed up in the second Thor movie. I thought the second Thor movie was pretty good. People seem to badmouth it sometimes. I actually think the Thor movies have been getting better. I'm thinking Ragnarok's going to be even better, the best of the three. There's a lot of people that like the first one the best. I thought the first one was the weakest of all three, but not saying that Malekith was a great villain in in that movie. Marvel movies definitely not to stereotype what everyone else says also or sound cliched, but you know Marvel movies do suffer from having villains that aren't very well developed and Malekith certainly wasn't developed very well in the Thor movie, but still was a cool villain, and in this story, he is definitely very, very cool. Uh, he's done very well. He's kind of like Loki in some ways. He's a little bit like the Joker in some ways, you know, of DC, and, uh, but still like, like a, I don't know, like royalty of sorts. You know, he's still proper and everything, so, but he, he points out to the humans that they have something of the Frost Giants, and that's why the Frost Giants are here. And he says, uh, where is it? And the first person says, where is what? And he, Malekith causes that person's head to blow up in flame. And then uh, turns to another person and says, where is it? And the person says, I, I don't know. I don't know what you. And then that person gets, you know, starts getting choked to death. And then turns to the third one and he says, where is? And the person says, whatever it is, I can find it, I swear. And he's like, ah, finally, you're, you know, you seem to be the smart one here. He says, let me look up some stuff. And he goes, you know, please don't, you know, basically kill me. And he's like, he's like, don't worry. I have no intention of doing those horrible things to you as long as you take care. You know, those things haven't even crossed my mind. So uh, that's where I feel like he's kind of a little bit of the Joker type character there is like, you know, Oh, you won't help me? Okay, boom, you're dead. Oh, you won't help me? Okay, boom, you're dead. Oh, you finally are seeing reason. Why on earth would you possibly think that I would want to hurt you? So it just reminds me very much of a Joker-type reaction. Uh, as they're looking at everything, all of a sudden we see a hand of one of the Frost Giants comes bleeding down in front of them. Uh, and the, the human says, oh, God, what's happening now? And that's when Malchus is like, oh, uh, uh, rumor, the rumors I heard are actually true. We then see Thor showing up, uh, riding one of his goats, which I'm trying to remember their name. It's like Toothnasher or something like that. Anyways, one of the goats uh, they typically would ride uh, or have his chariot pulled by them. And he's got an uh, axe that he's looking to take out the Frost Giants with. He jumps, smashing through the glass into the base, which I'm actually surprised that the water, you know, in reality, I think that water would just come gushing through faster than it actually is because there's still air in there and everything else, or that it just would have shattered the rest of the glass uh, because of the pressure. But that's not what happens. You know, we have the the water is 
coming in, but it's coming in steady and there's still air and they're still, you know, uh, they're able to stand there and fight. And he's, Thor's fighting Malekith and Malekith is just kind of playing with him a little bit. It's like, there's something different about you. There's just something not quite right. And I feel like it's right in front of me. And then a frost giant reaches in and grabs Thor. He fights that one off, but then there's a couple more hands that come in and one finally grabs him. Another one grabs his arm and he's like, oh, that's, and Malekith's like, oh, that's what it is. You don't have that uh, hammer of yours. He's like, well, you know, without you having that cumber, that hammer, you don't really need all these cumbersome arms. Uh, and he grabs the axe that Thor was using and he cuts his arm off. So he cuts Thor's arm off. And if you've seen some of the action figures from the Thor series, there is an Odinson figure that has a black arm. And that happens later in this series. I think it's just like the next issue or something like that, that he gets a an arm created for him that's like a metal magical arm that you know allows him to still use both arms and everything else uh but yeah he's missing an arm uh and it's just cut off and that was something that was really shocking with this issue because it's like oh my god they actually do what i think they did and they show it so it's not like oh they just it happened off panel which it initially does but they actually show like malekith is standing at the terminal now because uh, Thor has been taken care of, and he's like uh, talking to the human who is suffocating because he's drowning. He's like, "Oh, I see you found what I was searching for." He's like, "Breathe easy now, friend. I mean, you know, further harm, which of course he can't do because he's underwater." He tells the Frost Giants, "You know, I, I we I found what you're looking for." And uh, Frost Giant says, "And what of the Godling?" And he says, "Alas, he will not be joining us. I dare say we have seen the last of Thor." And that's because, again, he's chopped off his whole arm. We do see the arm floating behind Malekith, and we see Thor plummeting down into the trench with a trail of blood behind him. Uh, then we're on the moon, and we see a person come walking by <clears throat> and says, there must always be a Thor. And it grabs the, the handle of the hammer, and it changes the inscription so that now it says, whoever holds this hammer, if she be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And I can I can only guess at who this is right now. At this point, it's probably Freya, is my guess, because there's lightning that happens and everything else, and it changes the he to she. But then the next panel we see... Uh, Jane Foster holding up the hammer and I don't know if this is just a glimpse as to what the next issue is or if that's actually the next panel of the story it could also be the next panel of the story which is Jane Foster is there picks up the hammer that causes it to change to she holds the hand and then she holds the hammer above her and is Thor and at this point we don't know that it's Jane Foster the thing that's interesting is all this gets revealed later, and I can't remember if in the issue where it's revealed, if it shows, like, why Jane Foster was on the moon. Like, nowhere earlier in the story is she on the moon, so how does she get to the moon to actually lift the hammer? I don't know if they actually reveal that or not. Like, they reveal that Freya put, from what I remember, and again, I'm going to be going through this whole series again, from what I remember, maybe I'll report back to you guys too on it, but from what I remember, Jane Foster, uh, that Freya puts an enchantment on it so that this way somebody else could lift the hammer and that someone being a female and 
um, Jane Foster lifts it, or that she just puts an enchantment on it and Jane Foster, has, it might not have been required to be a female, but obviously it said she, it was changed to a she, and that could just be because Jane Foster is the one that lifts it and she was worthy, so the hammer changes its own inscription. I don't know. Uh, I have to go back and reread that issue because uh, I know it happened in this first story arc where it reveals that Jane Foster is Thor. I don't know if it reveals everything. I know I know it does eventually reveal like how it kind of all came to be, but I can't remember if it explains why Jane Foster was on the moon other than, hey, she was on the moon, she picked up the hammer. Like, how did she get there? I believe it does show that, but I just can't remember. Maybe you guys can remind me, although by the time you probably hear this, I've already read the issue and already know, but I'm still happy to hear from you guys of what you remember of this series. Um, but that was this issue. That was it. I really, really love what Jason Aaron did with Thor before this issue came out. And then when Jane Foster became Thor, I thought it was really, 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 really well done. I loved the fact that it was a mystery for a little while, but they didn't carry on the mystery for too long. I by the eighth issue of this series before Secret War starts, you find out it was Jane Foster. So they did it for eight months. That's not a long time to keep a mystery going. Had they gone, they could have gone a year, but you know, you start getting into a year and a half and two years, then the mysteries, you might as well just keep it a mystery forever at that point. But in this case, you know, eight months was a perfect amount of time. You know, there's enough mystery, enough people are talking about it. Jane Foster was certainly somebody that people said it was probably her. Uh, they figured it was going to be a character that we knew, uh, a character that was connected to Thor somehow, and Jane Foster seems to be the natural selection. However, this Thor looked very different from Jane Foster, the Jane Foster that we knew, so there was a lot of people thinking, well, maybe it's somebody else. Um, there was a lot of speculation. There was talks of maybe it just being a brand new character. My guess was, was that it was probably Jane Foster because Jason Aaron doesn't just create a character to create a character for a purpose like this. Now he created like the God butcher and stuff like that to fight Thor in the previous series. Those are villains to create and everything else. I didn't see him keeping a mystery going without it being somebody that he didn't, that he wanted to reveal later and to reveal just a brand new character wouldn't have made any sense. So it was definitely going to be somebody that we knew, even if it was somebody that he was going to start introducing in this series, like, until the reveal happened, maybe he was going to start showing this minor character in the series. Could have been something like that, but it did end up being Jane Foster. Again, really love this issue. It was very cinematic. This could have been the whole opening act. Uh, you know, the first third of a movie was to show this. So if you guys really like the idea of me doing, you know, an ammo dump every once in a while with these Kessel runs, uh, especially these ones where I'm kind of doing it on my own, you know, let me know. Uh, I like doing this. It makes the episode a bit longer for you guys, gives you guys more content. I always like giving you guys content that you enjoy. So, um, yeah, I had fun doing this. It just happened to be an issue I was reading and I was like, you know, what? I'm going back through all this anyways. So let me bring this up with me as I record the divided front issue. So, um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and close this episode. Uh, you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us at the, on Facebook, there's a star Joe's page and there is a it's a group page and a fan page. You have to request to be part of the group page. The second I see your request, I will approve it. Uh, check out our YouTube channel where you can see me do reviews and all the stuff I was talking about earlier. Uh, you can just search Star Joes and you'll find it that way. You can email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. Tell me what you thought of Divided Front. Tell me what you thought of Jason Aaron's run on Thor. 
Uh, happy to read those in the future. Please leave us a review on iTunes. I'd greatly appreciate that, and that gets us more exposure for the show. Uh, you can also find us on Stitcher Radio. It's a free app for your mobile devices. There's also a Podbean app, uh, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Uh, there's an app for that, which is our host site. Uh, they have an app just for uh, episodes to go out there, so you can find it that way as well. You know, we're all over the place. Um, we also have a Patreon account. And wanted to mention our sponsors for the Patreon. These are the people that have donated at the sponsorship level. Uh, we have Jonathan Morgantini. Uh, we have uh, Matt Anderson. And we have Ben Penserga. I did find out from Ben that he is fine with being called Ben. He is actually, as of the recording of this, he's sending me information about a podcast that he does. And then I'm going to listen to it and report back to you guys to promote it for him. Very excited about that. I love finding out uh, shows that people are doing and promoting it. Jonathan is still looking for people to be involved in the role-playing, G.I. Joe role-playing. He's got a few people, but he'd like to at least get a couple more. So if you're interested in that, please reach out to me either through Facebook or through email or something like that. I will get you in touch with Jonathan. But yeah, thank you guys for the Patreon stuff. Uh, by the time you guys hear this, there will be an episode of the Patreon uh, exclusive where I do uh, cover Green Lantern. Uh, I start my Green Lantern path. So if you're interested in that exclusive content, you can actually access it for just as low as $3 a month, which is very little. Made it very affordable for you guys so you can always access the content. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed doing the Green Lantern thing. And I'm behind on getting the previews episodes out for the exclusives, but I've, uh, those will be coming in the month of October. Uh, to you guys, so that'll be fun to cover all that stuff and get caught up on that with you guys. But at least I'm very proud of the Green Lantern episode that I did. So uh, if you guys are Green Lantern fans like I am, you'll want to check that out on the Patreon uh, page. So it's well worth the membership uh, for that episode alone, and I'm excited to do the next issues and everything else when it comes to that. Um, what I'm doing is the fall and rise of Hal Jordan. So I start with Emerald Twilight, and I'll be working through... Uh, several key issues when it comes to Hal Jordan leading up to Rebirth. And then from Rebirth, I will be working almost issue by issue all the way through to Blackest Night. So it's going to be a long run. I have lots of plans of covering all that stuff. I'll be covering like Day of Judgment and Emerald Knights and a whole bunch of stuff. So looking forward to that. Uh, I'll also covering Zero Hour, which is completely key for Hal Jordan as well. So so I believe that's everything. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention for you guys is I have a friend and coworker who does a podcast. It's called Implied Nerdity. It's a really cool show. If you guys like listening to us, I think you definitely would want to check these guys out. Uh, my friend's name is Justin. They did the show a little while back, and then they went on a hiatus for a while, and they're back doing the, the show. I'll, I'm going to read what he sent to me as far as the description for you guys, and I'll kind of tell you, because I do listen to shows before I promote them at all, just to make sure I have a good description for you guys. But I asked him, you know, if he could give me his, like, elevator pitch, basically, and he said, basically, we're your go-to nerds who take the burden off you of reading all the news nobody else wants to read. Each week, we pick the strangest in stories from tech, pop culture, food, and anything else vaguely odd and discuss it making you simultaneously more and less informed at the same time, all with a dose of what we think might be humor. And I will tell you, these guys are very funny. Uh, they actually promote Star Joe's on their uh, episode number 20, 
which I listened to because he was like, hey, you want to listen to it and see how, you know, did we promote your show the way you would want us to and everything else? They did a great job. Uh, they're very humorous. They had a good, they had, did a very funny thing with the promo and everything else. But the episode, it made sense for them to do our prom, uh, promo about our show on their episode 20 that they covered. Because what they covered was like reboots and relaunches of earlier properties that were out there. So it made perfect sense for them to talk about Star Joe's in that episode. So check them out. It's Implied Nerdity. You can find them on Stitcher um, and Stitcher Radio. I believe they're on iTunes as well. Uh, I found them through Stitcher. But, uh, you know, check them out. I highly recommend them. They go on tangents like we do. Uh, They have a lot of fun. They're definitely friends. You can tell that they're friends. And I'm looking forward to listening to more of their episodes. So, like I said, go check them out. Uh, can't say enough great things just from listening to one episode. I'm looking forward to listening to even more. And I don't listen to a lot of podcasts anymore. I just don't have the time. But I'm going to make it a point that I'm listening to their episodes. So uh, with that, uh, oh, you can also leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-J-O-E-S. We haven't received a voicemail in a long time. So please call, leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it on the next episode. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and close this episode by saying the Force will be with you because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, guys.